Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com, serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Hey, what's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is Leslie Snyder. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming out here. Did you walk over here by chance? I didn't, and I considered taking my scooter over here, but um, I didn't do that either. <laughs> so I'll forgive you. you got a busy schedule. I think you're a lot like me, and we live in very walkable areas and work in very walkable areas, and that's something that's really awesome about this island. It is, and we're going to make it more so. Yeah, that, save that thought. I want to introduce you a little <laughs> bit more proper. Leslie is currently on city council and owns a business in the community here called Office Expats. Um, how did you get on council midway through when Michael Scott left council? How did you become the unanimous choice? Furthermore, now are you not deputy mayor from there? I am no longer deputy mayor. I had no. a six-month term. It ended at the end of June. Um, yeah, at the end of June. So uh, the way... Uh, How'd that process work out that you're just a civilian and then all of a sudden you're on I council know. midway through? So it, it's it's a cool small story. Um, I I get the city manager's report. I've been getting it for a few years now. And so I noticed that they there, there was an opening. That was it. I just noticed it. And then I got an email from a friend um, who said... Hey, Leslie, did you notice that there was an opening on council? Are you considering it? I think you'd be a good candidate. And all of a sudden, I was considering it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I say this all the time to people. You cannot underestimate the power of an invitation. So yeah. I, just, I say that because it changes lives when you invite, you suggest, you give people a view of themselves that is maybe different in that moment from how they viewed themselves. And it's really powerful. So anyway, I just, I, 
all of a sudden, with somebody else seeing me that way, I started seeing myself that way. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. That's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, how did that process work out? Was there application? Did you have to oh, yeah. debate anybody? Did Oh, my gosh. How were you chosen? It was a long process. It took, you know... Did it start in March or was it just most of April? Because <laughs> I was sworn in on May 1st. So, mm-hmm. um, But there were, I think, three, at least three special uh, special and or regular council meetings that were dedicated to it. So in the beginning, there were 10 candidates and we were all up on the dais, you know. So the council members were not up there. They were down below. They were looking up at us. Mm. And, and we had a statement and we had already done our application and... And so we had a couple minutes to give our own little speech, and then they were asking us questions, and they would go off into executive session, and then they'd come back. And so I think it was a winnowing down, and, and they were sort of building the process as they went. You know, there there's some sort of guidelines for how you fill a position like that, but it really it's kind of up to council in that moment is, um, as long as you b- abide by open public meetings requirements and things like that. What do you think was the home run that separated you from the other candidates? Good question. I think what I felt was one of my strongest points was support of the business community. And so I played that up a lot in terms of um, obviously... um, Well, I don't think you need to play it up at all. You are very supportive of, of the business community. Well, there's support... In an active way, there's support in a passive way. Mm. Um, I think both of those are kind of important. And, you know, even now, I feel like my passive support of the business community is that I'm available, right? I'm, I'm at Office Expats. People wander by. They say, oh, Leslie, you know, and all of a sudden I've got my council member's hat on, right? And and I like that. Um, I think I think that's awesome. Um, Explain to the listeners that may not know what Office Expats is, what that business is. Sure. Yeah. So Office Expats is a co-working space. And what that means is that it's a shared office, just kind of like a gym membership. People can purchase a membership and then come for whether it's part-time or full-time, you know, a few hours a week or or full-time 24-7. And then we also, aside from membership, rent meeting rooms. Uh, We've had some We've had some retreats, you know, from um, companies on, on, across the water, you know, that kind of want the Bainbridge Island experience for their team, so they'll do a team offsite. Um, that's really cool. And um, and then just normal meeting rooms. People on the island who aren't members book a room and come and meet people. So we serve both purposes, both membership, building a community of people who really know each other and support each other informally, and then also just people who, who need space for whatever reason. Is it something like um, The Collective or WeWork? Are you familiar with those two businesses? Yes. So WeWork is sort of the the Goliath in the industry. Yeah. yeah. Did you? Sorry to interrupt after I just asked you this question, but did you hear about Andrew Yang um, taking a shot at, at uh, WeWork because they had some type of valuation of like $47 million or something like that? Billion. Billion with a B? I'm trying to think. I don't know. It was extraordinary. It was jaw dropping. Yeah. What were they thinking with that? Is expats to that level? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We have one thing in common with WeWork. I think we both started in 2011. 
I think that's the, the closest we get to any sort of comparison, other than the fact that we, we also both claim to be in co-working. Um, so well, you might have to step up your game because <laughs> if that's the market, I'm with you. Well, okay. So this is kind of interesting. So co-working at a business model level is really a real estate play. I mean, you have to be able to sort of buy low and sell high, right? You have to acquire space somehow, whether you're buying space or leasing it or whatever, and then you have to resell it. You know, you have to sort of parcel it out and and sell it. Otherwise, you're not going to survive. You're not going to make a living. Um, And so WeWork is doing that big time. I mean, I think they're one of the biggest office space uh, holders in New York, New York City, Manhattan. Um, And they're creating a whole new industry called workplace as a service. So just as an individual could come into a co-working space and say, hey, I want to be a member. I want to be around people when I work. I don't want to be stuck at home or in a coffee shop. A, a whole company could say, hey, can you take 100 of our employees and set them up with, with this? Cubicles and such? Yeah, if cubicles are the the requirement, cubicles are a little bit passe, but, um, you know, whatever the requirements are, and then WeWork manages it. So they're not just managing the HVAC and the and the office cleaners, but they're managing the workplace engagement, you know, they're, they're managing the environment that these employees have. And, you know, the company that's kind of offloading that is just trusting. They say, hey, that's what you do. You know, you, you provide a really engaging environment. And so in this place, it, in this case, workplace as a service is not co-working because it's not a bunch of individual independent professionals coming together. It's actually, you know, let's say 100 employees from the same company. But, you know, I mean, that's a new industry that has grown out of co-working. Uh, are you familiar with the Riveter in Seattle? It's You know, I'm similar. not keeping... Is that the all women? Yes, it's all okay. women cooperative um, space like you're talking about. Yeah, so there is a trend towards really special interest co-working. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another all women's one down in San Diego. I've forgotten the name of it. Um, what made you have, come up with the idea? So speaking of Seattle places, Office Nomads up on Capitol Hill was our mentor company. And so uh, randomly, I was somewhere where people were giving sort of three-minute talks about how to save the world. (laughs) And so Susan of Office Nomads was there, and she gave her little three-minute pitch for how co-working was going to change the world. And... I went home and told my partner Jason about it, and we had already been having kind of crazy conversations about supporting independent workers because he's an IT guy in tech. And so he was thinking about, you know, sort of reaching out to work from home people with with tech. And we had at the same time thought, yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if there was a way we could do meetups and have sort of place-based connections? So I told him, I said, hey, She's going to be speaking again for more than three minutes. I can't be there. I'm going to be out of town or whatever, but you can go if you want to. And I totally didn't expect him to go, but he Mm -hmm. went, he went and he came back and he said, we have to do this. So it was, a lot of it was on, on his momentum that, you know, we decided to look into it and, and then we decided to look into it more seriously and hired a coach to help us think it through and worked with people on the island to look for space and, yeah, it yeah. was kind of a cooperative space 
when I was in there in that space, and then you transitioned with Jason into that space, was families sharing yep. that physical space and just kind of coming together as a meetup group. And then that spawned into other um, things. Do you find that at Office Expats, there's a, a real collaborative atmosphere there? It has grown over the years. And I tell you, it's it's a beautiful thing now. I mean, um, so what I mean by that is um, I don't – there are many relationships there that have nothing to do with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, in the beginning, it used to be like everything was sort of facilitated by me or Jason or, you know, and we were sort of in on it all, you know, and we're just not anymore. And so, for instance, I might, out of the corner of my ear, hear what sounds like to be a little bit of a friction in, in a, you know, like somebody giving somebody else hard a, time, a hard yeah. time. And I'm, and I think, oh, do I need to worry about that? You know, and then I look and I see who it is and I go, okay, no worries. They're just giving each other a hard time because they know each other really, really well and they know they can get away with that. Um, so yes, the relationships have grown over time. Um, we have a lot more sort of full-time members now than we did before. And that's great because those people are around a lot. That means they're getting to know other people a lot and, um, and then there's just a lot of small collaboration, sometimes big collaboration that, that goes on, you know, between people and somebody gives somebody a tip about websites or, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of our members, um, Karen Klein is a, a lawyer and, and she, you know, is able to chat with people about stuff and she's just been great with us, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of... Free legal advice floating around the office. Well, I mean, she's careful about free legal advice, but you know, she's very available and yeah. and um, and and very wise in in you know, so um, I've, I've, <laughs> in her own legal way. Yes, yeah. she's she's very collaborative. <laughs> I've made a lot of friends from your your spot, um, Chip from Chip Talks. Uh, yep. Lawrence, Lawrence Price is somebody that collaborated with me in that space before you you were in that space, and then. Um, Leaf and um, Scylla as well with their travel agency. All right. So with Leaf and Scylla, the collaboration goes a little deeper. Super um, deep. Yeah. So because we knew them, um, they came to us at one point and said, um, we're thinking of selling our place in Winslow Co-Housing. <laughs> Would you guys be interested? We have their place now. So how cool is that? Right? Unit 14? Uh, no. No? A We're, different one? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. uh, Leaf's still in co-housing. Leaf, Leaf is. And their, and their intention was to get a different place in, in co-housing, a bigger one um, that was available. So, so let's hip everybody to what co-housing is. All right. <laughs> this is all your community community uh, neighborhood um, info right here. Oh, boy. You know, I, it's like I'm all about the co, and it gets kind of embarrassing sometimes, but it's true. You know, I mean, it's just a lot more fun doing things with other people. So I'm a co-founder, and I'm a co-houser, and, and you know, I work in co-working, and I helped create co-working. Um, yeah, co-housing goes back a lot further for me than 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 co-working because um you lived in, in a similar situation in seattle i built a similar situation in oh, seattle I'm yeah sorry. so in when i was still pregnant with my son who's now 22 years old um there was a group of us who got together to talk about creating co-housing in seattle and then for weird reasons that group broke up and so some of us were just kind of looking at each other like what happened there you know why did why did this group break up? It doesn't make sense. We were like arguing over suburban versus urban co-housing, but 
we didn't really have a choice in either of those worlds yet. So then three of us, three families said, all right, we're going to keep working on this. We're going to keep it close. You know, we're not going to open it up. We're not going to make a big group, a planning group until we have a real option. And so we did. We found a real option. Um, It's sort of southeast of downtown Seattle. It's called Jackson Place Co-housing now. Um, So we were three or four years in development. And um, once we had the space, once we had sort of locked down an option on it, so we had to hire an architect, we hired a project manager or a consultant to help us pitch the city, we went up against a couple other developers to to say, hey, we want this land. And we got it. Um, so that was huge. And then we went out and started building membership. And then when construction started, um, I was chosen to be the owner's rep, which meant that I got to go to those weekly meetings in the job shack, you know, the little, you know, the little uh, mobile home that they stick on the construction site. You oh, know? okay. And, um, and so, you know, I was given signing authority for change orders. And the job shack. I like The job that. shack, yeah. That's a shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that I mean, it was totally a volunteer position that was probably 20 hours a week or something. I remember that's when I got my first cell phone. I had to carry around a phone in case I was, you know, needed at the and last you, minute. <laughs> you had to di- ditch the pager. Yeah, yeah. But that was a long time ago. So then when my son was four years old, we moved in. So that was in 2001. And um, and I was there for eight years until I moved to Bainbridge Island. About 12 years ago mm-hmm. then? Yeah. yeah. I think I met you about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, how's, how's the transition from that co-housing to this one? Oh, I love... I love where we live. I love who we live with. It's um, such a beautiful garden space, too. It and is. The yeah. communal meals are pretty cool, too. Yeah. And both Jason and I love cooking for the whole community. Um, Jason, yeah, you, Jason's a real cloud your, pleaser. <laughs> when you cook for yourself, it's just not the same. When you entertain, it's so much fun to cook. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's fun just planning. You know, it's a different way of thinking about food when you're planning it for a group of 25 right. or 30 people. <laughs> because I've, I've been over to co-housing and had some meals there and it'll be an eth- ethnic idea. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. have Thai food this this Friday or something. Yep. And you get to experiment on stuff. Right. You might have a burrito bar. You know, it might be. I mean, what what have I done? It's What's the worst thing you we, ate? Oh, no, 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 no. Throw them under the bus. Come on. (laughs) Well, okay. So I will say that, you know, my own dietary needs tend towards higher protein, lower carbs, right? Mm -hmm. So I I try to avoid the the spaghetti feasts. Um, And every now and then I get a little bit misled and I show up and... It's like, oh. How do you get misled from spaghetti? <laughs> I, I don't usually sign up for spaghetti. Um, no. I'm always amazed when somebody will go out to eat and order spaghetti or a grilled cheese. You know, it's just like that's probably the easiest two things you can make at home, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember being invited, you know, with family to go to um, what is what was it? The spaghetti factory in Seattle before oh, it yeah, finally closed. Yeah, on Broad and Western. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't always have a choice. That's it's a good family place, and so and and oh man, I remember seeing on the menu that you could substitute broccoli for pasta, and then the broccoli came and it was amazing. It had all this mizithra cheese on it, and it was oh, it was great. So that was a really good, happy. They're out of business sub- now, aren't and they? And they left. Yeah, yeah. I think they went under. But uh, Beko de Boop, how do you say that out Beko there? Beko de Boopo. 
Pecco, pecco de boop. Yeah, my <laughs> Italian is failing me bad. But that was that's another huge portion, different type of style of food that's kind of not the diet friendly no. lifestyle that everybody's eating now. So I don't know how long they're going to be in business too. Just putting platters of spaghetti out there. Yeah. Hey, um, well, that's a great introduction to office expats and a little co-housing thing. I think it's cool that you know you have a quick commute from co-housing there to the studio. My house is all such a walkable, great city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about how unsafe the the roadways are here on the island for pedestrians walking and bicyclists. And there was a mobility levy that did not pass. How do you foresee the infrastructure on the island um, improving for both non-motorized people um, walkers, bicyclists, et cetera? So that's a wonderful question because, um, you know, I'm deeply involved in that um, on council. And um, I know people hate to hear that, you know, we were calling on yet another consultant to come in and give us, you know, advice. But um, just don't change the logo again. Yeah. <laughs> Before my time. <laughs> what a fiasco that was. And I'm referring to how the city um, put out f- feelers for um, a branding that was just right. atrocious. Yeah. And we spent a lot of money on that. Yeah. And nothing really happened other than a lot of hate. <laughs> so, but the thing that I, um, the thing that I feel really, really strongly about with sustainable transportation is that we need to be prepared for the future of transportation. And it is changing so fast. Yeah, you know, the ferries so are going electric. Ferries are going electric. But if you go over to Seattle, I mean, this is just since I've been on Bainbridge Island, I, I just sort of feel like it's a different world over there. Yeah, you know, you totally. see um, the bike shares and, and Uber and um, and I, it turns out, I think Seattle is going to do an experiment with a scooter share. We'll see how that goes. Um, CTE doctors get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so... I went and bought myself a scooter so that I could like be what, a just pig. one of those stand up ones with mm-hmm. the stick. Yep, just, yep. Oh, electric okay. scooter. Good luck. I'm not gonna do that. I almost brought. <laughs> I almost used it to come over today, and then I just went. Ah, you know, I just anyway. So I I, I bailed, but I've I've done that. I've um, when when I want to get around town faster and that kind of thing. It's um, but mostly I just wanted to try it out for myself to see what the barriers are. You know, to know. Mm-hmm. What um what the issues are and uh, and you bought one you didn't like ride the lime scooter for a dollar for fifteen well, minutes and make a decision you just no like, I mean I'm I in. needed I needed to know what how it would make a difference in my life so How's you know living so in Winslow I um, I don't get on my bike all that often anymore because it just seems like it's a lot of fuss for a short distance but it's you know and I do a lot of walking mm-hmm. um, and walking is my preferred but if if you're gonna kind of go to two or three different places and they're a little further stretched out yeah. and you got time restraints. So like for instance, um not too long ago I I took the scooter and went over to Kitsap Bank, which is the opposite direction from Office Expats, right? And then I came back from Kitsap Bank and went to Office Expats. So that would have been a long time walking. Mm-hmm. Um just in just fitting it into a busy day. I mean it's not bad if you're just going out for a walk, right? But if you're like really looking at 
time management. Yeah. Time management, yeah. And so that was fun. That was that was really fun. And I I checked out the rules. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah, you'd have to wear a helmet, and but you can pretty much be on the sidewalk. You can be on the street. You can be in bike lanes. You know, you can be wherever you, you, you have need to wear to be. a helmet. Yeah, because like in Seattle, that's what kind of green lit the rideshare program with the the jump bikes and the line bikes that they got rid of the helmet law. And that was kind of based on like, you don't wear a helmet in a convertible car. Right. You know, why do you why are you making this a priority? We can't get these cars off the roads if we require everybody to wear a helmet. But are you telling me on Bambridge, you must wear a helmet? That, those are the current rules. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've read a lot of studies that say you will get a lot more bicyclers if you eliminate the helmet laws. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's not a, a fight we're taking on at, at the moment, but um, we've talked about it generally. And, you know, I hope it comes up in the Sustainable Transportation Project about what what the trade-offs might be. You know, what if we decided to um, to not require helmets? Obviously, we're not telling people they can't wear them, right? You should, and I, though. And I think that, um, you know, it's probably better to keep it required for kids because I know as a parent, it's a lot easier to say, no, you have to wear a helmet. It's the law, you know, then you don't have to be the bad guy as a parent. Um, so I don't think I would support eliminating the helmet law for kids, but I would be very tempted to see what the impact might be if we could get, you know, if, if we could. A little natural selection of the adults weed out the ones Ooh. that aren't, aren't too bright. <laughs> well, you know what's true though. The, what the what they what the studies show is that if you have more bicyclers, it is safer for everyone. It's just like the more there are, the more drivers are looking out for for bicyclers, and and the safer they are. But with helmets, you get fewer bicyclers. So. There is a trade-off. It's it's mm-hmm. really hard to kind of you know you can cherry pick the the studies that you want to prove your point depending on what side of the argument you're on. But um, it is the way that the future is going. You know, it's it's the way it is in the cities like Amsterdam and um, Copenhagen where there's you know where Bike heavy where areas. you know most commuters. I think it's really over fifty percent are, are bicycle commuters. Do you do you think the island looks at itself as a biking community? Um, yeah, well, I want to say yes, because there's a lot of passionate bicyclers out of there, out there. Um, but when I think about going from point A to point B, you know, I don't really, and, and I've been an avid bicycler in the past and I'm not now. So I think we've got a long way to go as an island to really providing the infrastructure for, for bicyclists and not just bicyclists. I mean, but if you provide... Um, if you if you provide, for instance, like a, a shared path that is separated from the road, then you do create the comfort that a lot of people need in order to say, okay, I'll bike, you know. Um, and then that same path can be used by wheelchairs, can be used by dog walkers and, and so forth. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, everybody wants their own path. There's going to be the cars, of course. There's going to be the bicycle paths, the walking paths. Do we have another one for automated vehicles, too? So are we going to have three roads side by side for each different... Uh, you mean like tr- autonomous vehicles? Yeah, because we're not going to mix those in with the, the everyday people, I, I don't believe. Um, 
So I'm not an expert on autonomous vehicles. You know, I'm very curious because, you know, I'm really interested in the future of transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, I, I think the distance between autonomous vehicles being amongst us is really a cultural one. It's not technology. Like the Teslas, um, I have a sister-in-law with a Tesla and, and she could have, she, she, with the technology that's already in the car, she could pay a certain amount per month, which she chose not to this time, but to have the car, she could hail the car, it could come around and pick her up, you know, and um, if she's in the car, she can put it in auto mode, she has to keep her hands on the steering wheel. I mean, so there's all these like restrictions, but they're, but they're cultural restrictions, they're, they're legal restrictions, they're, they're not technological restrictions. So I'm, I'm not saying there aren't technological challenges that still need to be, um, you know, that still need to be challenged or surmounted, but we're so close. I just think that in the, in, in five years, I don't think it's 10 years. I think it's probably closer to five years. um, We'll, we'll start to see autonomous cars in our midst. And I don't think we'll be creating separate lanes for them. I think that they'll be in, you know, mixed in with other car traffic. What I would like to see is having much more separation between the car traffic and and more vulnerable modes of transportation. For sure. That's a good way of putting it. Um, Like I go down to Fay Bainbridge quite a bit, and I I think that road is Sunrise. And from Bay Hay and Feed, or or, um, basically from there on, Rolling Bay down to Fay Bainbridge, there is so little edge of the road and now we we have this critical area ordinance that we really want to preserve vegetation and stuff so how do we widen those roads or make those safe because that's part of the chili hilly loop that's part of the tourism loop like people get off the bike go down to the the park and that's a major destination like blodell but without the sto on 305 and that not being a, a city road that we really get to participate in transportation discussion. Um, how do we make it safer for bicyclists and, and people that want to come enjoy these parks like Bloedel and Fay Bainbridge from the ferry? Well, so that's one of the reasons that I'm really counting on this sustainable transportation to help tell us um, what we could be doing. And so, for instance, widening, widening a road, even even when you put bike lanes on both sides of it, can potentially um, make cars feel like they can go faster. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I'm not the expert. I, I can't say whether we should be widening the road to create bike lanes or whether maybe we keep the road the same width. We take out the center line of the road because again, center lines cause cars to feel like they own the road and they've got their own space and they can go faster. So this wouldn't be appropriate on all all roads, but there probably are some roads on Bainbridge Island that we could say, "Hey, let's take let's take our uh, well, road like- wave and and build out the 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 bike shoulders, but make the the part for cars a lot narrower and then cars when they're coming at each other, they actually have to kind of pay attention and veer into a bike lane. And I mean, I know that sounds really scary and um, counterintuitive, but they're called advisory lanes and it's a thing, you know, I mean, you read, you read what the sort of design guidelines are and, um, and this is one of them. So you just basically make cars feel like they're the second class citizens, not the, 
not the walkers and the bicyclers and and so forth. But isn't there more cars than bicyclists and walkers? So isn't aren't we going to lose that debate when it comes to voting for this type of stuff? Well, it depends on the road, I think. You know, so again, I'm not the expert. And, and that, that's what was wrong about the last levy, in my opinion, was it wasn't specific to what roads were really going to get widened. And the time frame seemed like it was going to take forever to make very little incremental progress on projects that were unknown to the public. So it's hard to be a citizen right. and say, I'm going to contribute to this. Um, when I don't really know what this is yeah. or what it looks like or if it's going to benefit me in my lifetime even. Right. Well, I've heard on council, you know, we've had these um, speed limit conversations, right? And we're <laughs> Take down the May proclamation signs, too, if you're going to uh, worry about the well, people running for council putting up their vote for me signs. Take down the signs that you put up as a city. Because I, I walk around and I see this May is proclamation 20 miles per hour speed day or month or whatever. And... I'm pretty sure it's almost September. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with I mean we're getting off on a different topic. Yeah, I'm just messing um, up. But but we are saying that a lot of um, where this is likely to go with the whole temp signs and the it, is that you got to come and take them out and take them back at night. So anyway, there will be there will be a, f- a lot fewer signs. I don't know what the what the end result's going to be there. But uh, what I want to say is that people are are showing up to council meetings and giving you know their their three minute. Um, comment period and and saying, you know, now that you've widened the roads on Miller for purposes of the bike lanes, you know, people, cars are going faster. That's anecdotal. That's not data. But it, yeah, people are going fast anyway. And I really appreciate those improvements. Yeah, I'm, I'm down at the ground forest right. all the time. And I, I love how much width the road has you know, provided us as walkers and just the visibility right. aspect. Yeah. Like now when I'm in my car, when you're kind of going downhill and you, you're, it's a 25, but your car, just a neutral wants to go 35. Right. So you don't always hit the brakes all the time. But now that I can see out there and I see people coming out of the woods, my tendency is to slow down now. Yeah. Yeah. And we just need, <clears throat> we need to look at our island as a network um, of destinations, right? So if I want to get to Barn, how am I going to do that, you know, from wherever I am in, you know, in the safest way possible? And so, you know, if if we can look at our island as a series of destinations and how many people are going to which destinations <clears throat> and which are, uh, which need the, which are the most, um, critically in need of safety improvements. You know, if we can do that kind of as a whole and and do it with the understanding of what's coming next for transportation, you know, that's what I'm hoping will come out of this so that we will have the detail, we'll have the data, we'll have the backup to say this is what we need to build and here are the ways we can start to fund it. You know, we might do a levy again. We're, you know, there might be other ways that we can go after funding. Well, every time that we don't do a levy, we're not getting any closer to that infrastructure of transportation that right. we speak of. Right. Um, oh, tip of my tongue. Now I forgot it. Um, Sportsman Club. That's what I was going to say. 305 is heavily, um, what do you call it, uh, used, mm-hmm. the highway. One way is, you know, take down the Agate Pass Bridge and there'll be less cars going on that road. <laughs> I think the second biggest... Well, the earthquake might do that for us. But <laughs> yeah. Well, after it gets painted, of course. <laughs> oh, she said the earthquake word. Um, 
Sportsman Club is, I think, the second most traveled road um, on the island based on transportation reports. Is that definitely coming up with a, a roundabout in that area soon? Like New Brooklyn and Sportsman Club. And I had heard um, talk about a roundabout on Day Road, too. What is the, Well, Day the, Road being the 305 yeah. corridor, yes. So, um, and that would be WashDOT. That's not the city doing anything on 305. Do you know which one is in, you know, coming quicker down the pipe? Or are they both still in limbo? Or are we going ahead with those roundabouts? I believe the one, the, the roundabouts on 305 are getting pretty close to set and happening in the next couple of years. Um, the, the one on Sportsman's Club is still in, in design. And what council has said so far is that, um, you know, please come back to us with some, um, maybe some alternatives to, to, to show pedestrian and bicycling maneuverability around to make sure that the, that we're making improvements for non-motorized as well as for motorized. So that has yet to come, come back to us. So it, chances are we're going to get a roundabout, um, and they're going to have to include the STO trail talks too, aren't they? So now we're going back to the 305 corridor? Yeah, or? well, we're talking about the day road roundabout. Yeah. So, so yes. So we um, – Would that not incorporate are, the STO trail? Well, WashDOT's not on the hook to build that for us, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we are pushing them to make sure that they are, are showing us Open how it can be done. Or? Right, yeah. so that we're not eliminating options. And so, um, you know, we're – there's a lot of talks there about how to do that. And, um, you know, we'd love to see some options for really getting bicyclers separated from that other traffic, like maybe a, you know, a tunnel or something that, that um, could help totally have, have a separated crossing. That's not in the near future, but if we can, um, if we can build it such that that might be something that could happen in the future, that would be great. So we're we're asking for some thought along those lines, um, and we don't always get the answers we want. But <laughs> staying <laughs> on trans- transportation, how do you see the future of the bus system working on Bainbridge Island? Well, so that is definitely part of the sustainable transportation. So we we definitely want to um, work on you know what is it going to take to make great connections, and that's in a sense where bicycles and scooters can come in because they can supply that last mile problem. Um, where, you know, it's a little bit too far to walk to where the bus is to a transit stop. Um, Or, you know, if if you get over on the Seattle side, how do you get to where you want to go? And I I was walking to the ferry one time and I saw this woman in front of me on a scooter. And so I hustled to catch up with her. And and so we had a nice conversation while we were waiting to get on the ferry. And so she has an e-scooter and, um, and, you know, she's... I don't know, living with her boyfriend about a mile and a half from the ferry. So it makes a difference. You know, that mile and a half is kind of a long, that's a long walk. You probably wouldn't do that on a regular basis. So she she and her boyfriend both got scooters, and that's what she had just done. She was on her way to work. And then on the other side, she has about a mile to get to work. So the scooter helps there as well. And then she has um, a home in Kent. And so presumably, you know, she's there on weekends or something. And so I said, oh, you know, so you just have – you fold up the scooter and hop on the bus, right? And she said, yeah. Or sometimes I don't even – you know, if the bus isn't crowded, I don't even fold it up. I just carry it on. So, uh, you know, that was – 
that was amazing that she can get from Bainbridge Island, a mile and a half from the ferry on Bainbridge Island down to Kent. And this is just part of her life and she doesn't have to get in right. a car. That's what I love about like light rail, taking that to the airport because it's a free ride on oh, the ferry. Yeah. We just did that. We just came. It's wonderful. You walk to the transit yep. station. You pay like two twenty five light rail. It's amazing. Drops you off at the airport. And then when you take the Uber back home, it's hundred dollars or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually not that, you know, I mean, that's actually kind of our backstop because if the ferry is late or if we miss a ferry or something like that, then it's like, okay, well, at least we could take Uber and get there fast, you know? So I'm really glad both of those options exist, right? Because mm-hmm. we much prefer to take light rail. Um, it's too. kind of a neat experience and it's a heck of a lot cheaper, but um, when the, when you really need it, it's great to be able to just you know, I like the safety of it too. You're above the roads. You're not going to crash into another light rail up there, right? Right. Yeah. Not going to hit a pedestrian. Nothing. Yeah. Hey, you up for talking about some more council issues? Sure. Okay, I'm going to throw some things out there. All right. Um, Creosote Park. How's the super fun looking? And um, what's the update on on that project? Oh boy. So I. Um, I did a tour of Creosote Park uh, with the Kitsap Sun um, a year ago. I think it was a some. I think it was about this time a year ago, mm-hmm. and so I learned a lot and I forgot most of it. <laughs> um, well, they're they're injecting some type of fluid into the seawall to to connect it. Last time I heard, I was wondering if that's the seawall is going to be replaced. So they're and I think they're going to build in front of the seawall. So they'll build like a, another wall in front of the existing one. So the sludge was so there's no leakage into the ocean. So I you know, I I think you're referring to some recent information that that I haven't I okay. haven't um but no what deal. I remember from a year ago is that the long-term solution is they do need to replace that seawall. And so they'll build in front of it. Um and and it'll and it um and I'm trying to remember and then the then they also have this massive filtering system, right, where they pull water in, filter it, and then clean water goes out and mm-hmm. so I guess that's and then the sewage know, leaks in and that's not a long term solution, so maybe the pumping thing that you're talking about yeah. is kind of is is replacing that where you you're sort of capping off the the groundwater so that you're not mixing you know mixing the water that has the potential the water, yeah. to be polluted by the crease so with with the groundwater underneath it no, I think the ferry system recently gave proposals to city council about um building a docking station for the future electric ferries and the work area there to the side. Um, where are we looking at that? Is that a go-ahead and um, is that going to happen? So I don't think we were given any proposals. We were just kind of given an update of what's being planned. Um, so I know PSE is in talks to try to provide the necessary um, service. to. You're, so you're talking about electrifying the ferry, right? Yeah, and that whole area – if you're coming into the harbor, well, Eagle Harbor area, there to the left, I thought they were going to improve the maintenance um, area there and build a docking station as well. I could be wrong. I'm um, I'm just trying to piece things together. That's kind of what's cool about this podcast is right. trying to find out more information about what's going on on our island. I don't think that – so I did also do a tour. This was in my – council member capacity um of the maintenance yard and i didn't i had to bail um 
from the last piece of it, but I was there for most of it. And I don't, I'm not remembering anything that's coming to council for okay. that. Yeah. Well, I just want to be up on it when it does come. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, aquifers. You were talking about building a tunnel and I was just like, Oh, that'll just get everybody irate about the aquifers. How do you see the situation personally? Do you think, um, we're in dire straits with our aquifers or that the aquifer science is somewhat faulty. Um, how do you see the whole situation? I think that there's, um, so from the council side of things, we get, we get public comment on both sides. You know, we get people Mm -hmm. that say, why are you spending all this money on a groundwater management plan when it's been proven over and over again that we've got plenty of water and then we've got other people saying uh, no. <laughs> so you know, I I think it's a good I think it's a really good thing that we're doing a groundwater management plan. I think that what we need is is data. We need data that people can trust that they can trust the process by which the data was gathered. And you know, at some point, yeah, I think we that, have to make decisions based on data. I think the outcry is uh, making decisions on um, data we can trust. Mm-hmm. You know, is it the environmental protection agencies? job to tell us what the aquifer science is is it the state's job or is it somebody that we consulted with as city council i think if you use that ladder it's it's difficult without the data to say hey this is matches these other organizations that are putting out the data as well and then you know the ability to gather information changes over time too right so information that we gathered 10 years ago you know might not be the best way to gather data today so anyway, we have a groundwater management plan happening in the next year where there's um, there's RF, RFQs out for bid right now looking for, you know, a, a company that will come in and do that for us. So that's kind of where that's at. So we're, we're probably out a year from getting results on that. So if I can back up, because I don't completely know the history, and I've talked to a few people about this, and I don't know if I completely understand it or, or believe one or the other who wrote the information about the aquifers that set the precedents for the critical area ordinance? Um, and was that based on data that we got from a local agency, a consultant group, a higher out? Know. No, no, I'm not. I don't. Not I'm, hip to that? No, and I, I wasn't on council when, when they when did the critical areas ordinance. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll I give you a hard pass. <laughs> Hey, climate change seems to be the topic. One, because Jay Ansley was running for president until right. yesterday. Now he's yeah. running for governor for a third term. Um, I heard our mayor recently talk about that being his highest priority. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of steps do we need to take as, a, as islanders to help the climate, you know, as everyday citizens here? Well, not to sound like a broken record, but um, with with Governor Inslee's um, re- uh, signing of the bill that says we're going to be coal free by twenty twenty five, that yeah, means PSC is going to have to get to off it. of coal, and then um, and then clean too. energy. Get off the coal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then we we also are going to have totally clean energy by twenty forty five. I think it is. So so if you separate out the energy and say, okay, that's being handled at a state level, then transportation is our next highest um, source of greenhouse gases. And, um, and everybody, 
And fixing that problem just fixes so many other problems too, because people hate traffic, right? And um, cities and towns and roadways, you know, rural areas built for cars are just not as happy as ones that are built for people. So, um, you know, we have parking problems. I mean, we just need to tackle getting people out of cars and, that's, you know, I, I've had people saying, oh, you're never going to get senior citizens out of cars. Well, I think that's because we don't have options that that seniors can look at and say, oh, I could do that, right? But that doesn't mean we can't provide them. Mm, so, like BI rideshare. Right. And y- just yesterday, I, I sent an internal um, just to, um, you know, I'm you only s- allowed to talk to two other council members at any given time, yeah. right? So I... I I, um, I, I sent two other council members in and um, the city manager this article about this cute little, um, I don't know, I, I want to call it a van, but that just, I mean, it's an, it's all electric and it's um, a program that's happening in Anaheim. And, you know, it just does kind of circles and, and takes people around and it's, it's tiny. And I mean, I think it fits um, maybe six people, um, maybe... You sure that's not a rickshaw? <laughs> it it sort of has that cute feel to it. I mean, it. I think that that is the kind of thing that we need to introduce some um, pilot projects like that, do some experiments and be willing to adapt those experiments. But, oh, my gosh. If, I mean, it, it's sort of like, you know, I think most people love seeing the golf cart that, that goes around the island, right, and picks people up for free from the ferry and takes them into into downtown Winslow. But that's not all a year-round thing. It's not a year-round thing. So this is the next best thing. I mean, it still has that intimate, fun feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a great big Kitsap transit van, right? It just, it, it looks very people-scaled. But it's an electric vehicle, and it's covered, and it will take you places in the rain. So, um, you know, I don't know how expensive that is compared to something. But if we had two of those, and one was charging, and the other one was running all the time, that would be pretty darn sweet. So those are, you know, those are... um, and, and then there's some out out there kinds of ideas. Um, people send me examples of like there's this bike bus. So I don't maybe you've heard like the, the oh, beer yeah, yeah, bus yeah. in Ballard and all that that people can jump on and they're everybody's bicycling. Oh. You see those so in this, Europe. Yeah, exactly. So there's something like that that's that's a school bus. So it's a like a bicycle school bus. Do you have to sing the wheels go around and round? <sighs> I don't know. Pedal? I don't know. <laughs> but. You know, those ideas are going to sound crazy until they aren't, right? right? Just like the scooter idea sounds crazy to me. Right. That those, I feel those are just going to be littered everywhere. The the bikes, it's already bad enough with the homeless people. They'll push over, you know, like it's a Ro- Patrick Swayze Roadhouse movie where the guy comes over and kicks all the motorcycles over. <laughs> <laughs> I see that constantly on the streets. And But, you know, like the, the schools have um, a lot of parents don't put their kids on the buses because they know that if they took their kid to school, it's a five minute drive. If they put their kid on the bus, it's 40 minutes before their kid gets to school. So what if, I mean, what if there was a bike bus that could service, you know, this, this little area that's pretty close to school and then maybe a parent volunteers to drive the bus, you know, because it's fun. And, and, and the kids all jump on the bike bus and you, you get kids safely to school. So maybe as long as there were parent 
driver options for that, maybe that would work. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like an experiment like that could be really interesting to see whether you could get, you know, kids to school that are really rather close to school. And then they wouldn't have to be on that long, long bus ride. Or maybe we can just get more buses so that, I don't know. It, I yeah, think I'd like to see kids have um, transit have later buses. Yeah. For sure. So we definitely need to uh, work with Kitsap Transit, and that's part of the sustainable transportation is to um, either promote things like BI rides so that everybody knows about them, knows how to how to call the the bus, you know, if they need something, or um, or apparently like we could, I think for like ninety thousand dollars, don't quote me, but <laughs> for ninety thousand dollars, we could actually get a Kitsap bus to do circles on the island, you know, mm-hmm. and that money has to come from somewhere important. But, um, um, and that's another thing is just, um, speaking as an individual now, because, you know, I have to, we, yeah. we have to really be, um, educating ourselves about th- this Tim Iman initiative. That's going to, um, $30 tab, the $30 tab. Destroy thing. so many programs yeah. vote for that. Because, you know, we, we just this past um, six months in or eight months um, introduced a, a ten dollar increase in the tab mm-hmm. fee that could fund something like a new bus going around Bainbridge Island. You know, ninety thousand dollars. That's probably less than half of what we could pull in from from that new funding. What happened to Tim Iman's idea of uh, scooting around on office chairs? <laughs> Wait a minute! You're stealing my idea for next year's uh, parade. <laughs> Can't believe him! Oh, I, I forgot to pay for it. Um, there's been a moratorium on development. There seems to be some more development popping up in the way of proposals for the Suzuki property and the hotel. Um, what are your feelings on those two projects? Well, for <clears throat> for Suzuki. Um, this is, the city has been trying to do affordable housing on Suzuki. Four and a half years. Is it only four and a half years? I I believe so. Okay. Don't fact check me. Yeah. Or Leslie. (laughs) It's been, it's been a long time coming and, um, almost no matter what we choose, we're going to have to go into it knowing that we're going to have to be flexible and aggressive about finding funding. So there, there is like no guaranteed funding scheme. And we, we're going to go into it saying, well, we have this option to go after this funding and hopefully we'll get it. And then we'll hopefully get this funding and hopefully get that funding. So um, I've asked for some different options, but by and large, we need that affordable housing. Um, and I know that, um, you know, 90 or 100 units is not sort of the original idea for what we would be able to what we would want to to put in that area. Um, well, that's the equivalent of a lot of cars and what mm-hmm. a lot of a lot so of people, we, and it's in yep. critical area. You know, there's an aquifer or a, at least a rain pond there. Um, there's all that the woods and the environmental impact of taking down those trees. Right. I, still, whatever we do, please can somebody just make that. Uh, a little bit more fireproof and and healthier forest in the meantime. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if somebody would just pull out some of those trees. It'd be less dangerous for kids to walk through there because kids walk through the, in between the schools now. Um, 
I'm sorry, I'm going off on a little tangent here, but I was wondering why um, that forest hasn't been maintained in the meantime that they've that the cities own the property. It just all the trees are seemingly falling apart. They're going really thin and just coming over, and it's just not a very well maintained piece of property that um, can provide a lot of um, things right. to the community. And it's in a good spot, but I, I, I fear I fear if there's a roundabout there. And there's 90 units and more cars and more people. How safe is that area for our children in between those schools if we bring that many people into it? Right. Well, that's why we have to really focus on the on the, the roundabout and make sure that we have um, incorporated all the necessary features for that, which may not be there right now in, yeah, in the current design. It might be a bridge over the road like you're talking about, pedestrian bridge, too. I, yeah, and I don't know what the options are, but council has said, show us a plan that has, you know, better options for the non-motorized safety. Um, and, and then that's, that's hundreds of kids. That's, oh, yeah. Right. Right. And then we also, for the Suzuki development um, and, and with sustainable transportation, we've asked for sort of a transit-oriented development proposal. So, you know, where, are we, where do we need to put the transit so that it serves the homes? Yeah. And where do we need to put the homes so that it can be served by transit? And then densify it also in 35% of the space, right? Right. You got a lot of hurdles. Yep. What There's about Island Center? Why not make that affordable housing down there by the gas station and... Swati's restaurant and stuff like that across the street. That's zoned for dense occupation, isn't it? Well, I mean, I guess for starters, the city doesn't own land right there. <laughs> eminent domain, that stuff. Snatch it like you do the other properties. Well, eminent domain <laughs> might imply snatching, but it doesn't imply free. <laughs> I mean, you'd still have to, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we still respect property rights. <laughs> Everybody has their own take on that, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I haven't heard any proposals for doing affordable housing there. Um, and is there a proposal in there for development right now in Island Center? I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're still wrapping well, up planning the commission anyway, right? You wouldn't necessarily know about that. Well, so the, the, the planning cycle, which I have not been involved in, um, Sarah Blossom's the one that's been involved in the Island Center. Shout out to Sarah. Hi. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but what that's wrapping up is the involvement from the community um, to what we want to do with it. So, you know, there might be some zoning changes. There might not be. I, I don't know because I'm not, I'm not following it. But, but that's the sub-area planning piece that's going on. And then once that's done, we're going to move into the sub-area planning for, for the Winslow Center. And that's one I'm going to absolutely be deeply involved in. Okay. Near office expats. Just up the road by my, between your business and my house, um, there's been some clearing and some uh, sewers and sidewalks and stuff going in there. On Madison? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it looks like um, by Madison and Island, they're thinking about taking out another home. There was public comment last month, I believe, on that. So there's a strip of about a quarter of a mile that's tear down housing. Um, what's going on in there? What's what can I expect to see when that's going when that's all said and done? Right, and that's kind of across the street from where I live too, right? It's, yeah, it um, is across the street yeah. from your, yeah. your place. Well, so first of all, all of those um, developments were sort of given a green light before the moratorium went into effect. Um, so 
there won't be more of those until the moratorium is completed. And then what chances are good that the moratorium will stay in effect until we have something like inclusionary zoning to try to capture some more affordable housing from any new projects that go in like that. And then it would also, you know, um, the, the CAO and, and various other things. So it would have to, any, any new development would be subject to rules that the old development was not. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you and know what it's going to look like though? Is it going to be mixed use? Is it going to be housing? Is it going to be commercial only? I think it's mostly housing. Um, there's the Madison cottages. Um, actually, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about commercial. I think it's it, almost yeah, all housing. Because I know that one development with the cul-de-sac in there is probably going to be housing. Right. 20 houses or something. But to left and right, I think there's also recently tear down houses. So those are the properties I'm not so familiar with. Right. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I mean, maybe they have some commercial in them, but I that hasn't popped out for me. What areas can we densify zoning-wise on the island? I feel like there's the island center, the Suzuki property. Are there other spots to, you know, get this affordable housing up and going? Well, heavy sigh. It, <laughs> I mean, it all comes down to resources, right? Um, so, you know, if, if if the city has land that can be developed and developed, donated and then developed, you know, that's a possibility. I can say personally, and this is just personally, this doesn't represent any commitment on the city at, at all, is that I think it could be really interesting for the for the senior center, which is on city property, to be redeveloped with some low-income housing. Is that down um, on the waterfront there? Mm-hmm. Waterfront Park? Right. And it's so close to, it's so walkable to the grocery stores and the ferry and um, mm-hmm. and and then right there embedded with, assuming that we couldn't do it, right there embedded with all the resources that, that the senior center has right now. So that's pie in the sky. There's no plan for that yet, but um, it's something that I personally would love to look into more. And um, you Cool know. if you guys could get that apartment complex across from the Stone Museum there, down kind of close by Bema on the right before the gulch on the, by going to the ferry. That thing seems a little dilapidated across from the old pizza slice place. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think... Because <clears throat> that's, that's kind of up up the road from the senior citizen area. Yeah, more towards the ferry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of on the diagonal. Past the chickens. So what do you think the opportunity would be? Past the chickens, that's right. Well, no, put in a bid for the that apartment complex and, and upgrade that into um, additional units, safer units, because I feel like every year they're doing spot maintenance on that just to keep it on the hill. Mm-hmm. And maybe make that an affordable housing because that's yeah, very a very walkable area. Right. It's very walkable. It's one good idea, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think of the hotel? Is it a go? Is it did a go? Guy, did I, the guy it, make so all the, the plans correctly? Well, it, it, the plans have all, I think the plans have always been quote unquote correct. I mean, um, so this is, I'm venturing out of my comfort zone right now. Awesome. And what I think is true is that 
in the Winslow core area, it's zoned for inns, but not hotels, but that doesn't preclude hotels. It just means that hotels have to be sort of permitted on a one, you know, on a one-off basis. So, um, and, and that's what has happened or, I mean, it hasn't, it's, it doesn't have a full green light yet, but I mean, that's the premise on which that hotel is being proposed right now. So it has to be like Winslow Inn across the street from that property is, you know, with the ivy and the bricks and it's about three stories. Right. So, and I'm not place. sure what the difference is between an inn and a hotel, but I'm assuming that it has to do with scale. <laughs> Here at, around Hildebrandt and High School Road too, it doesn't seem like those two hotels get much use at all. Oh, well, in the summertime, they're totally booked. And then in the shoulder season, they're... Shoulder season? You know, the what does that mean? fall, winter, spring that, I don't know, it's a, it's a tourism term. I just came from the Bainbridge, <laughs> the Bainbridge Business Connection meeting this morning at, at Office Expats, and they were talking about the shoulder season. Shoulder so, season. Yeah. See, you learn something on the Bystander <laughs> podcast. Um, so, you know... Uh, so when there's a wedding in town or something, you know, mm. it's it's kind of hard to find beds for everybody. Um, you know, I guess unless it's a, a winter. Hotel oh. 1000 on First Avenue across the water. Stay there, people. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to say about the hotel, um, you know. I, I'm sort of grateful in a way that I don't have to make a decision on the hotel because it, it's just one of those things where there's a lot of unknowns, right? It, I mean, my personal feeling is that um, I'm, anything we do is probably going to increase traffic, but, you know, there were some uses there already. And we we did just get briefed on council about the concurrency, the traffic concurrency. And so from the data, they are, are not um, – causing any intersections to fail or, you know, with regards to the level of service that's been designed by the city, there are not any issues there, even if they didn't subtract out the the uses that are currently there. So what Um, defines this happening or not happening? It de- it In part, it depends on what the developer is willing to say, this is our last offer, right? So I think right now... Why does he have to offer anything if he's already gone through the planning commission and those plans are within the parameters of the zoning and such? Well, because the last step would be going before the hearing examiner. So the hearing examiner is going to make a a go or no-go decision. Arbitrarily or based on what? Um, Based on all the data so far. So it's a quasi-judicial system and so it's, you know, it's very legalistic. Um, and at, at that point, you know, you um, so eventually it'll come to council for <clears throat> kind of like a rubber stamp decision. But at that point, we won't really have anything to say about it because the only thing we could say is that there were irresponsible happenings in the in the set process. Like, you know, the, the process was not followed. Um, so could that lead to like a appeal situation that would halt the production of it if it was okayed? And then council came back and said, nah, I don't think you went through the process correctly, even though that it's would been- create a big mess. And it's, it's not likely to happen because the, the whole point mess. of having the um, the hearing examiner is that the process is followed. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the whole point. Is so there's not sure. really a recourse. You're either guilty or not guilty. Right. Well, and I think that they can they can also appeal, right? If so, if they got turned down by the hearing examiner, they could appeal. 
Um, but they're, they're, I think the hotel's position is they want to make sure that they are offering the best that they can to the community they want to have. And so I think what's happened right now is that they have said, okay, we're going to hold off on going that final to the hearing examiner place. We're going to go back and look at it again and maybe submit something again. So don't quote me on that. That's what I remember reading. So I, I think it's, uh, I, I think we haven't seen the, the the final proposal from the hotel. Yeah, there's only one rule. Well, there's two rules. You can't hate on the podcast, but you um, also can't get fact checked. So yeah. <laughs> free waiver for you. <laughs> I got a, a couple more questions. And I'll let you get back to. Uh, Wait, can I can I say something about the hotel though? Just two things that I think are really interesting for people to know that maybe they don't, and and I didn't know it in, until I went to my dentist and she told me, <laughs> is that they're um, one of the additions to their proposal is they're they're putting in six affordable units of, of housing there, so that some of the staff that might otherwise come from off the island would be you know able to actually live there at the hotel. So I thought that was very interesting that you know a, that's kind of unusual, right, for a um, well, back in the day, that's, that's kind of how grocery stores and other places worked. You you, you lived at your place of work. Right. Uh, you, you see it in prisons, actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The guards stay in a, in a quarters on on the penitentiary. So yeah, I don't know about. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't comment on prisons. <laughs> no fact checking, but I just threw that out there. Um, I mean, certainly there, a lot of us, you know, lived above the storefront or, or whatever. And, and I, I personally would love to see a lot more of that happening. So I just thought that that was really interesting that there are actually six units um, of <clears throat> of affordable housing built into it. And then the other thing that I learned early in is before this actually went to the planning commission and all that is that they've done – they have um, a, an amazing sort of green building proposal that – <clears throat> is towards the living building challenge. <clears throat> and so they're they're going to be processing um processing water uh rainfall, they're going to be processing I think processing gray, gray water. I mean all of this I, I don't know what came, you know, what followed through with the proposal, but I know that they're doing a lot to um sort of be as sustainable and sort of full cycle as they're they can to, right on their site. They're trying to fit in in the uh, best way. Well, so I'm not making a comment on the scale of the <sighs> hotel for the, for the neighborhood. My, my comment is more that they aspire to having um, good practice, a system and- of utilities and so forth that goes way beyond the, the current stati- standards for lead and so forth. So it could be an amazing demonstration project. And that's a completely separate issue from, you know, the context of the hotel in that particular site. Yeah, it'd be nice that all new buildings, you know, had had, had lead and were green and had solar panels on right. public municipalities and stuff like that. I yeah, think that's and I think this wave. hotel is proposing to go the extra mile on that, but we'll see what actually shows up. Dave Eulen, Open Water Marina. Can you bring me up to date on what's going on with that? You're establishing more buoys for liveaboards. The and- update on that is it's happening. So um, there's, you know, I think we ended up with a, a, a win-win scenario where... Was it a dozen buoys or so? Um, 16. I think it's 16. And did you ever meet David or know him? 
I did. Um, Tell me a little bit about him because oh, I didn't know him, but I, everything I heard about him was he was really sweet. He was so sweet. Just what what an amazing personality. I've I had a couple conversations with him in the early days of Office Expats, and I'm trying to remember now why. Um, but I just you know I'm just I really love having my own memory of of him as a mm-hmm. as a, a human being. Um, it, it, yeah. Even even then, he was just sort of iconic, you know. Um, but it was a couple conversations, so <laughs> I can't say he was my best buddy or anything. I just knew yeah. to appreciate him while he was still alive, um, and I I'm, I think it's wonderful that that there will be ongoing reminders of his influence on. So our this community. looks like a completely done deal, and it's happening. It is happening. Yep, we um, so it cost a little more than it was than we had bargained for. That came back to council. We said, "Okay, fine, we'll do it." Um, I don't know. It might still. I, I don't think that council is going to touch it again. It, um, I mean, that was pretty recent that 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 budgetary thing came back. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it still is on on the. Uh, you know, on the agenda just to go through at the end, but um, it's, it's done. It's a done deal. Okay. So you've thought highly enough of this participation at city council that you are going to run again. (laughs) (laughs) With that said, and us just talking about the B word, um, what do you think the top three priorities for budget would be during your next term? um, And why? The top three. I mean, I have my top three issues, but you are putting it in the context of budget. So, correct. Um, I mean, where's my so money much, going? So much <laughs> of what the city does is is keep the infrastructure open and running, right? So most of the budget goes for things that we take for granted, and as long as we can take them for granted, that means the city's doing its job, right? Um, so really what we end up talking about are the things on the edge of the budget that can move us forward or take us in a new direction. Um, and of course, for me, the, the, the big one for that is transportation and specifically non-motorized transportation. So, you know, we were counting on something that didn't happen. We were counting on the, the levy to provide resources from the island. And, you know, that can still be an option for us and I do hope it is but I think we definitely need to have some budget resources there to make progress regardless of what happens and so you know we'll flesh out our plan faster if we if we get a levy but if not we're still going to make you know um, we're going to make steps towards what it is we need here on the island um, you know and affordable housing that's that's not going to go away as a need even if even if Suzuki gets all buttoned up, I mean, um, it's it's just, I mean, this is a problem that all cities are having, and Bainbridge is having it because Seattle is having it, right? So we get the we get the reverberations from that. Um, so. Transportation, affordable housing, and, and then uh, climate change for me is like this overarching issue that we just it's all encompassing right so you know there might be a little bit of um a, a budget to do 
you know, this little piece, like the greenhouse gas inventory, right? So there's a little bit of money going towards that. But what we're doing now is we're waiting for the, the Climate Action Committee to come up with a climate action plan. And then just like we had an affordable housing task force that gave us an affordable housing plan, we can start working it, right? And so we're working it right now for the affordable housing. We've got Jennifer Sutton, one of our long-term planners, kind of dedicated to that. And we're going to backfill for her temporarily while she gets to focus on on that whole list of priorities. Um and so my hope is that we're going to do the same thing with the climate action plan. So I think we've got a – there was a report to council recently that shows, you know, we'll probably have that in about six months. But it's going to take the climate action committee that, you know, that time to, to kind of pull things together. Um, you're running against Grayson Wildsmith. He is uh, fresh out of college, political science major. He's coming on next week. Um, if you could ask him one question, what would it, what would it be? Excellent question. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say that having young people involved in politics is amazing. Um, I agree. So, you know... I mean, when I got on council, it just kind of opened up my eyes to what the possibilities were. And, you know, I have a 22-year-old son, <laughs> mm-hmm. graduated in the same same year as, as Grayson did. And so you should know how to handle him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, I, I can I can tell my son, hey, you know, you what I've told him is I thought he should get involved in someone's campaign. That's what I told him that, um, you know, just pay attention to this political process. Uh, and you're talking about your son? I'm or? talking about my son. Yeah. And he's like, sure, mom. <laughs> so I don't think it'll be my son that gets involved in politics anytime soon. But, you know, like that, the power of invitation, right? I want to make right. sure that that he's had that invitation and that I'm I'm glad that Grayson has had that invitation. Because um, we need young people, you know, in the system. So, you know, uh, the voters get to decide. I mean, I'm really passionate about certain issues and um, and I'm going to, you know, work my tail off to get them to happen. And, and if he's got a good plan, then go for it, you know. Right. What what is what is your plan, you think, for the next two years? you Now you have some time to think about it. You've had some experience. Um, you're not just jumping into the water with cold feet. Can you articulate a couple of the things that you want to accomplish this next term? Well, yeah. So what's um, – <clears throat> I mean, you know, so being on council and making decisions on council and doing your homework so that you can hopefully make good decisions on council, that's sort of the meat and potatoes of the job, right? <clears throat> but then if you have bigger ideas than that, if you have, you know, a bigger agenda – than other people's agenda coming to you, then that requires, you know, a lot more sort of working behind the scenes. And so one thing that that looks like for me right now, um, I mentioned the, I mentioned the, um, the sub area planning that will be happening in the Winslow area next, you know, after the, after we finish with the Island Center planning 
Um, so this is, you know, taking a, a look way out and, and seeing how, what, what do you want for this area and how can, how can we do the zoning and the, you know, what can we put in place to make that vision happen? So from my past, I have a connection with a nonprofit called the EcoCity Builders, and they have an EcoCity framework. And what I don't know is whether that EcoCity framework could help us reimagine a sub-area planning process that would get us to a different outcome. But I hope that it does. And so one of my shorter-term goals is to see if I can get um, a small version of that, you know, maybe um, have some folks from the EcoCity builders come up and do a small workshop with us so that they can really look at what we have, we can look at what they are offering and see if there's a match. And I don't know if there's a match. So I'm not saying that that they have that they would be the right ones to work our I'm not even saying that they should be in charge of it, but I wonder if that framework would be <clears throat> an interesting way to move the sub area planning forward would we get to a different outcome if we if we had these you know different metrics that we were working towards all the time um and by the way the eco city builders um supports has this thing called an eco city world summit that happens all over the world and the last time that it was on the west coast was in 2008 in san francisco and this fall in october it's going to be in vancouver bc so I'm really hoping to get to the EcoCity World Summit. Oh, that'd uh, be fun. Yeah. And I'm hoping to take some city people with me, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll carry your bags around. That, that seems like fun. <laughs> All right. Um, let's wrap this up. Tell people how they can get in touch with Office Expats. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> that's easy. You can stop by the pavilion, come up and say hi. Uh, we'll give you a tour. We'll give you a free day um, to co-work there. Uh, you can go to officeexpats.com and reserve a room. I mean, it's it's pretty easy. Um, but stopping by and just seeing what's there and who we are and... Um, I, I guess a super easy one would be to come to some of the regular public open public events like the Friday morning BBC. Um, it's at seven. The networking starts at seven thirty in the morning. The program tell, starts. Tell people at 8. what that acronym is again. Um, Bainbridge Business Connection, but it, it's open. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a, um, a nice. valid business to to come or anything, and it's loosely associated with the Chamber of Commerce. But it's just a really fun. That's uh, just a place where people pitch ideas. Well. It's uh, so some Dave Cragen is a longtime Office Expats uh, supporter, and but he, I think he and a couple other folks actually um, had started Bainbridge Business Connection long before Office Expats opened up. So they had a number of other locations where they held this meeting over the years, and then I think since 2012 or something they've been doing it at Office Expats. During, I think it started during the recession when businesses were just deer in the headlights. Oh my God, how are we going to, you know, survive? Mm -hmm. And so it was a way to pull to pull businesses together so that you know um, individual uh, individuals didn't feel alone. And so that's really the, the beginnings of it. And then you know the the tagline, "It's fun, free, and friendly," is is really apropos. So this is it's, it's just a wonderful group. So um, Dave and the other folks in that group oftentimes have um, a speaker that comes to the Friday morning group. 
But sometimes it's just kind of a round table. People throw out a business problem and everybody kind of collaborates to throw out ideas for how that person might address their, their business problem. So um, that would be a, a super fun, easy way to come. And then Office Expats will... Um, we'll do Tuesday at noons. This is our business skills workshop. We're doing it in conjunction with Accelerate Kitsap, which is a nonprofit that's kind of helping to produce them now. I used to do them myself, but it was just a lot of work. And so now Accelerate Kitsap is kind of taking on that workload and and making it happen. Um, So, you know, get on our mailing list so that you find out what's going on with the Tuesday at noons. They're, They're free. Any way we can get Subi to uh, cater on Tuesdays? <laughs> what's your you favorite? You can ask. <laughs> what's your favorite restaurant on the island? Oh, you're gonna make me. Uh, well, give some love to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm gonna make you do. Okay, all right. I want to know your best favorite cup, cup of coffee and your favorite uh, restaurant. So, when Jason and I were getting together initially, you know, twelve twelve plus years ago. Um, you know, I was not living on the island. We we met at work over in the Seattle side. And so, you know, I, I would we would come over to the island, especially for weekends. He would maybe stay with me during the week, and then I would come over here on weekends. And we had this tradition of always going to the Harbor Pub, like on a Friday. And so I just have a really strong emotional connection with the Harbor Pub. And there was a time when we said, okay, we're going to work our way through the entire menu. We're going to make sure we order everything. And those days are kind of gone. But um, What was your favorite thing? So they have this, uh, the sweet potato fries, the papas, the sweet papas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a... And then it's got it's a Cuban dishes, isn't it? Yeah, with papaya and stuff. Black on beans it. and black beans. There you go. So that's that's one that um, we always love to get, and we always sort of get that as an extra to another. And then it's like way too much food, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's been one of my longtime favorites. I like the salmon tartare there, um, and the chipino. Oh my goodness! But the what? The chipino. Chipino. Oh, I should try that. But I never know what day they're serving it. Sometimes yeah. it's seafood stew, other times it's curry, and then it's chipino. But that chipino, if I knew what day they served it, I'd be there all the time. All right. Well, send me a text when you find it. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Um, Coffee-wise, what's your favorite cup of coffee? Do you drink coffee? I drink coffee and Well, tea. I drink a ton of coffee, but most of my coffee is at Office Expats because it's it's free and somebody else makes it. Um, that we get, we have good coffee. We have grounds for change, which um, you know, fair is trade coffee, fair from... trade, organic, um, locally, local company. Yeah, out of Poolsbo. Well, they live on Bainbridge Island, and they used to, they used to have, yeah, they so they moved the operations off of Bainbridge Island just because of, I think they couldn't find a good place to do it here. But um, I, I still think of them as being, I mean, they are. They're very local. It's just barely across the bridge. Right. There's um, a, Aviator Coffee and Storyville Coffee. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of coffee around here. And yeah. distilleries now. Yeah. There's a distillery right next door to the studio now, which is super dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> Leslie Snyder, you've been listening to Bystander. Thank you for coming in. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Love being here. Thanks.